Good evening, my angels of music, and welcome back to Monsters Never Die, Talk Film Society's spooky season podcast, where we take a look at the original Universal Monsters, as well as their reimaginings and remakes. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matt Curione, editor-at-large over at Talk Film Society, and joining me on this journey through the classics and beyond is... Hi, Matt, it's Jacob here. I want to talk about movies old and new, a man who stalks... The yes. Phantom of oh. the Opera is here. <laughs> Alright, I'm done. <laughs> this is wonderful. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, this, I, this is fun. I'm excited. I'm having a really good time. Uh, this is uh, one of my favorite shows I've ever been a part of, and I want to thank you for that. Well, I want to thank you for just being a good pal. Thank you for oh, being a friend. Gee. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, before we get to the episode, we have some business to get to. You can now follow the show on Twitter. At Monsters Die Pod, and that—that's our Twitter. Uh, we're going to be posting not just the episodes, but we're also going to be, uh, you know, posting some fun, like spooky stuff. Do not the eat time. the die pods. Do not eat the die pods. It's very dangerous. <laughs> they will unless, kill you. It's right in the name. Unless they're filled with whiskey, which is a thing now, which uh, I think we all should have seen coming. That's the thing. Uh, you can also email us. If you still do that and you want to ask us questions or ask us for free shit at monstersneverdiepodcast at gmail.com. So that's uh, another thing you can do. Just more ways to reach out and uh, talk to us. It's, it's, it's a good time. What do we talk about today, uh, Jacob? Today we are talking about the Phantom of the Opera, if you hadn't guessed. <laughs> yes, we're talking about so many different phantoms of so many different operas, paradises, malls, and auditoriums. Uh, it's going to be quite the episode. Uh, I know you said this earlier, but how in the world did this turn out to be the episode with the most movies to talk about? I have no idea. It's the only one that like doesn't really have any sequels that the Universal no. made, at least. So, uh, I mean, the musical has a sequel, but I haven't checked that out yet. I hear the fans hate it. Uh, yeah, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she said, it's very weird. But you know and, what? That's uh, what people say about shock treatment, and that rules. So I still need to see that. It rules. Uh, wow, yeah, I gotta, I gotta see this one. It looks uh, pretty good. Shout out to at Laura E. Hall on Twitter. Uh, she actually uh, shared uh, one of these with us. Uh, one of these with me, at least, uh, via DM. And uh, she actually gave us a shout-out in her uh, newsletter that she puts out about all things spooky. About she's a big fan of the show, and she's uh, helping us out in that way. So that's pretty cool. Uh, thank you so much. You're the best. We love thank you. Thank you. Okay. The Phantom of the Opera. Uh, now, this is... We're actually going back to based on a book. Hell yeah, we are. Which we haven't done in a while. This is from 1911 by Gaston Leroux, uh, The Phantom of the Opera. See, I don't do a French accent, Jacob. It's, no it's, one writes like Gaston. <laughs> no, no, no one fights like Gaston. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, look this guy up on Google Images. He looks exactly like you would expect him to. Oh, uh, I, I don't I'll have to he do looks, that at he, a later date. I'm excited. He, he looks like a Gaston LaRue. Uh, now, he wrote this, uh, and he actually gave the book to Carla Mill Sr. Mm -hmm. back in the early 20s. And he was like, you should read this and uh, buy the rights from me. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Damn, the dude was right, though. This book makes an awesome movie. Yeah, it makes a really good movie. And the first adaptation that we're going to be discussing is the 1925 silent film, 
starring Lon Chaney and Mary Philbin, uh, the man of a thousand faces himself, Lon Chaney, who did his own makeup here. This is a movie that fans, uh, listeners can uh, watch anywhere because public domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's That's a wonderful thing, Jacob, isn't it? I would actually recommend, though, if you are going to watch it, you should, instead of watching one of the shitty public domain versions, you should mm-hmm. go ahead and pick up that Kino Lorber Blu-ray, because this is a movie that I think really gets a lot out of looking great, and yes, Blu-ray agreed. looks almost, mo- like, not modern, but it looks it's good. upright, it looks great. I don't know if you've seen it, but their restoration of Nosferatu... Oh, yes. Is terrific. But tonight we're talking about another creepy monster, uh, the Phantom of the Opera, a.k.a. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> a is, name. What is just quite a name, and they've kept that name uh, throughout all of the adaptations, pretty much. Yeah, it takes uh, a little bit of a, a slight aesthetic change in Phantom of the Mall, where he is just Eric with a C. But Eric, Eric, Eric with a C. Uh, so yeah, this movie, uh, Give it, uh, tell us uh, what, what happens in this one. The, the original. So this movie rules, first of all. Um, uh, this is a fact. Yeah. Now, this is personally my favorite of all the Phantom movies. Um, I think. Okay, fair. It's just, every. I think every choice they made was a good one. And it's really exciting and fast-paced and full of just, like, indelible imagery. And it's just awesome. It's really damn good. Uh, I like the, the visual style of it. Mm-hmm. It works really well for me. Chaney is really good. Yeah. He's, like, really, really good, and wow. And that makeup, everyone knows the big reveal. Yeah. Uh, everyone know, probably uh, knows the big reveal, even if they haven't seen the movie. What uh, surprised me the first time I watched this is how early in the film that happens. Yes. I kind of was expecting it to be, like, almost the, like, last thing that happens. and then Like, like the climax, like, yeah. Right, but no, this happens maybe about, like, she goes into the Phantom's Lair for the first time, maybe about 20 minutes in. So... Well, we got And then talk about the set design here real quick. Oh, yes, so the... It's uh, amazing. The Paris uh, they, Opera they, House set. They basically recreated the Paris Opera House. Part of the set is still in existence. It built out of steel, it was. Yes, they don't... They obviously don't use it anymore, but it's on the Universal lot, uh, and it's, like, basically, like... A bit of uh, history that they just keep around. Uh, is, probably not. Probably just so they don't, don't piss off the uh, the Phantom of the uh, Universe a lot. <laughs> I I have bad news for everybody. It was completely demolished. Um, oh no! Twenty fourteen. Those bitches. For a long time, it did hold the record as the longest still standing set. But yeah, pretty recently, I guess in the long term. It uh, it was finally demolished. Uh, so the reveal scene is still very impressive. We get that insane uh, makeup. What I love about that makeup is it seems to be the only time in any of the films that we watched for today, and I think maybe ever, that they Except actually try and capture what the Phantom looks is described as looking like in the novel. Uh, basically, you have it's very accurate here and in the animated film that we'll be discussing. Okay, yes, later on. Um, but yeah, so the Phantom is described as essentially having a skull for a head. He has no nose, his skin is yellow and stretched like parchment over like a skull-like shape. It sounds awesome, and I'm very mad that none of the others even try and do anything with that. They usually just kind of make him a yeah. slight burn victim. Yeah. So yeah, yeah Chaney, no, he's ghastly here. He did his own makeup. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was looking into... I looked this up on uh, Wikipedia to find out how the hell he did this. 
he basically did, you know, that old school thing where, you know, you paint your eye sockets black, you know, when you have like a, like a skull makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also, uh, he used like wire to like pull yep. his nose up to give him the impression of not having a nose. Yep. I, uh, I actually did disgusting. that once for a uh, Jason Voorhees costume. I did nice. a masked and maskless Jason Voorhees for Halloween. And I got to so tell you, that shit hurts. Yeah. It's like a two part costume you did. <laughs> yeah. I so, did that once. I did a two-part costume. I was uh, Norman Bates and Mother. Oh, that's great. So I started the party as Norman, you know, all nice, <laughs> handing out, like, hotel keys. And then about halfway through the party, I step out of the bathroom in Mother's dress with a wig and a knife. And uh, that was a lot of fun. That's extremely cool. <laughs> that was a good night. But listener, uh, don't pin your nose back. It, it Don't hurts. do that. And he also put in these nasty-ass teeth in his mouth. Ugh. And uh, this is one of the first, like, spoilers that like the studio like helped to to hide mm-hmm. uh, this was this this makeup was not in any any uh marketing material uh not even the other actors on set knew what it was going to look like before he revealed himself in that iconic scene yeah which is uh hey Cheney, good for you man <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um so if you don't know like i think a lot of people kind of have a concept of what they think the phantom of the opera is without yeah. necessarily having seen the silent version which is certainly something that i kind of came to the table with a basic knowledge of yeah phantom some kind of tragic romance a chandelier falls at some point yada 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 there's but, a lot of chandeliers falling in this episode. But uh, but the silent movie, I, you know, there is. It's great that he lives in a lair that's full of death traps. Yes, it's really cool. And and you have to get there via via gondola. Yes, and, and those uh, sets are impressive as hell. Those sets are amazing, and he's got a cool mirrored torture chamber. He's got yep. so much just cool stuff going on, and so. It, there's just so much exciting, like, fun action and, like, trying to get out of death traps. And this movie just he's, is he's the so original, cool. He's the original Jigsaw, if you will. <laughs> he is. And I get so rowdy watching this movie. It's just, he, it's, it's a hoot. He's like, you know, Raul, I'd like to play a game. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think and one does. of the things is, in this one particularly, they focus a lot less on the kind of tragic, doomed romance yes. where he's, he is an asshole. Oh, he's the worst. And he's he's very controlling, basically a big old jerk. Yeah. Which good for him. I mean, I would be a yeah. jerk too if I lived in the basement <laughs> in in like the sewers. Yeah. Okay? I mean, not not everyone can be so jovial like a ninja turtle living in the sewer. Some people just turn into like dicks. <laughs> That's this what happened to Eric. So there are like 800 versions of this movie. Um, yes. Alternate cuts. Uh, so originally the uh, the 1925 release was longer than the one that most people have seen now. The one that mm. is most often reproduced in these, um, you know, public domain sets or whatever. How um, long was the one you watched? So, well, that's the other tricky thing. Um, the uh, the Kino Lorber Blu-ray has um, two produc- projection speeds. Yes. That you yes. can watch it at as well. Um they're both technically authentic to the era. It kind of just depended on the theater. So you can watch mm-hmm. it at either 20 frames per second or 24. Okay. Um, I did 24 just because I've seen this movie a hundred times and, <laughs> you know, it cuts 20 minutes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> without, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm losing anything. It doesn't, mm-hmm. I don't, it do, it never looks like you're watching it on 1.5 speed. So, you know, it. Yeah. It my version, my version was an hour and 47. About okay, I th- I believe that's the uh, that is the longer version then. Okay, 
Not okay. not longer as in there was more content, but longer as in it just took longer to watch. Took took, took longer to watch. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so yeah. essentially the 1925 cut got horrible reviews when they screened it for audiences. Um, nobody really liked it. So they, they went, ah, shit. And they took it back and they hired a new director and they filmed a lot more kind of comedy, a lot more opera stuff. They really okay. tried to tamp down on the gothic horror stuff because they thought that's what people weren't responding to. But that's and good stuff. <laughs> then they screened that, and that got worse reviews than the first one. Yeah. So then they went back a third time, and um, they uh, they re-edited it again. Um, and mm. Lois Weber, um, who okay. is actually one of the earliest, like, she's considered to be one of the earliest women, like, auteurs. Um, okay. She is hugely important in silent film. They considered her, like, a female D.W. Griffith back then, but she Damn, also okay. does not have any of the, like problematic shit that he had that's so, good yeah she she never stumped for the kkk so that's that's always that's a plus wow <laughs> um so essentially she is actually the one who is kind of single-handedly responsible for saving this movie so yeah, she, she took all of the footage they had shot for both versions and cobbled together a third version and that is the version that is often seen and that is kind of that is the bones of the version that we watched today. Mm. That is the content, and that is the one that got great reviews, and everybody loved, and everybody yes. kept coming back to see. Um, after that, there was a 1930s sound version. Yes, which uh, not all of it survives. There's only a few bits of pieces. Yeah, and um, Cheney did not do the character's voice, and he also refused to let anyone else voice over the character. That was a part of his contract, that nobody yep. else could do that. And mm -hmm. he had signed with another studio to do his first talking picture. So what they essentially... A talkie! <laughs> yeah. What they essentially ended up doing was um, having somebody kind of narrate around the phantom while everybody gotcha. else talked interesting um, and so the version that we watch today actually incorporates some of the sound footage yeah in a silent version um the, so the copy the version that is most complete and most watched is the international cut okay and some of the interesting things about that are uh carlotta in the version that we watch carlotta's mother comes in and is complaining to the um the owners of the opera house yeah. about her daughter not being able to sing mm -hmm. in the original silent version that actress was playing carlotta okay. when they went back to do the sound footage they hired an actress who could sing and uh -huh. so the actress playing carlotta was hired for her ability to sing so a lot of those opera scenes are the versions that we see now are from the sound version even though we don't hear any sound with it it's a wild time in hollywood yeah so like, like really said, wild time. If you really want the authentic phantom experience, the way people saw it back then, fucking good luck. Just watch what you got. It rules. Yeah, yeah. Good luck getting that. Um, later on in the film, we get the iconic Mask of the Red Death. Hell the mas yeah. The Masquerade Ball. Uh, I absolutely love Lon Chaney's costume in this. Yes. Uh, yeah. It is one of my favorite uh, Red Death costumes i mean i really like the one we're gonna get to it later but the one in the animated version mm -hmm. is super cool and super fun but yeah he's got this like huge like these feathers and this this white skull mask and coming down the stairs and i mean i said this uh to a friend of mine the other day i mean as great as that reveal of his face is i think this scene rivals it I, I agree wholeheartedly, especially because this is the first color sequence that you get in the film. Yes, this is the sequence where, like, he's not just scaring one person. 
it, where he just you know he scares Christine when during the mm-hmm. reveal. He's scaring an entire room, yeah, of he, people. He just looks so cool, and the color photography looks so amazing. Looks damn good, yeah. It's it's shocking and exciting. And then they they go up to the rooftop, and for that sequence, that sequence is not full color; it is just tinted blue. Yeah, and you know, for the for the, as a nighttime sequence, and that's another thing. You know, so many sequences in this film are tinted, and yeah. it really adds a lot to the film. I think the, the the tinting, I think, just really creates a great atmosphere for the entire movie. But it so looks really cool. You're up on the rooftop. Everything is tinted blue. They're confessing like their love for each other and how they're going to betray the Phantom. And then yeah, Christine and Raoul. Yeah, and the Phantom is like perched on the gargoyle, almost like Batman. Yeah. <laughs> It is his cape and his hat are hand painted red, and everything else is the blue. And it's and it's flowing, and his face is just in anguish, and it just looks so cool. It is just like an iconic shot. That honestly, I think for me, that is the shot of the movie more so yeah. than the face reveal. But the face reveal is the one that kind of gets all the public. Face reveal is the is the big scare. So yeah. everyone everyone talks about it. Everyone's like, oh, it's so good. Blah blah blah. Yeah. So you have those two scenes right there: the the, the mask of the, the masquerade, and then this that pretty much rival that. For yeah. Like for like. Not just their beauty, but their shock value. Yeah. And then, so, other, I guess, noteworthy moments are obviously the chandelier fall, where it... Yes. it fall, And it's a great, just wide shot of that chandelier just dropping like a stone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get very different takes on it in different versions, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. Just kind of just falling straight from the top and just smushing some folks. Yep. And uh, uh, who doesn't love to see some people get smushed? <laughs> One of the others, I think, is um, one of the other iconic moments from the movie is the Phantom taking the uh, the snorkel and descending below the depths yes. of the water and stalking to kill. I think that's just such a cool moment and silent. He's, that one's genuinely pretty scary. I love it. He's a turn-of-the-century uh, slasher. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, but, you know, with nice music behind him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that is the 1925 silent film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I know people, you know, they might have trouble getting into silent movies, but this one is one that I can highly recommend. I think this one's an easier watch than most. Uh, you know, if you've had trouble with something like Nosferatu in the past, I think Phantom of the Opera will catch your attention in a way that <sighs> that does not. Nosferatu is so damn good. <laughs> it is very good, but it is much more about imagery. It is much slower paced. Yes. This one, yeah. this one fucking moves. It's It rips. Yeah. Uh, okay, this brings us to 1943, uh, basically one of the first major remakes, mm-hmm. and also the earliest uh, film uh, based on uh, a universal monster to win an Oscar. Yeah. How about that, huh? Yeah, good for we it, get, I guess. We get to talk some award season stuff, which I need in order to live. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Honestly, though, I think of the Universal Monster movies, this one's my least favorite. Same. Uh, also, it barely counts. I feel I, it, it doesn't feel apart yeah. with the rest of them. I think a because of the color weird. photography. Yeah. I think it is. It has nowhere near the iconic weight that the original silent film does. I will say, I really love the Technicolor cinematography here. It is good. It's gorgeous. Uh, yeah. I'm a sucker for that stuff, and this this stuff just pops right off the screen. Yeah, they for this one, this movie's weird. 
This movie is very weird. It takes it's very, very little weird. from the book. Very, very little from the book. Uh, but hey, it stars Claude Rains, uh, making you know a return to our podcast after uh, Invisible Man and mm-hmm. uh, Wolfman. Uh, he plays the titular Phantom, it, but it also loses a lot. It, there's no masquerade, which is kind of weird. Uh, the whole storyline is very bizarre. He's not like always been scarred. He's like he's burned by acid. Yeah. So- uh, so yeah, what, what, what is this? What is this movie? What is movie, Jacob? So this movie, I, I would say its major addition to the canon is the acid scarring that actually comes to mm-hmm. play in a lot of future um, Phantom yeah. adaptations. And I think what would de- what I would think of as the defining aspect of this movie, and honestly the best aspect of this movie, is the first half hour where it gives an origin for this Phantom. Yes, and it's I actually very- like that. It's very unlike the Phantom in the book, but um, it's mm-hmm. a it's a pretty cool and pretty tragic origin of um, so Claude Rains plays Eric, Eric, and <laughs> again he is a violinist. Cellist? He's a violinist for the Power Opera House, and he has basically like I don't know. I guess he's getting arthritis in his hands. Like he can't. Yes, he's so getting he's, older. He can't play anymore. Yeah, he he is he is losing his ability to play. He is, you know, going to have to retire now. And they're like, well, you should be fine. You know, you, you've earned all this money from working for the opera for, you know, however many years. For 30 then years. Goes, then he goes home and you realize that he's been spending all of this money. We don't know where. We don't know why. And it turns out that all of his money has been going to providing singing lessons for Christine. Christine Dubois named Dubois. in this, which is a weird... No, I don't like that. Eh, I, I, it doesn't bother me, I think. <laughs> Bugs uh, me! <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, I, I want to get into, for a second, one of the things that was cut out of this film last mm-hmm. minute. So, as the film goes on, it's still kind of the phantom story that you know where he has an obsession with Christine he brings her down into the the catacombs yeah. for you know his entire for her entire life he has been kind of you know he's been paying for her to be trained yeah and unlike other adaptations though that in other forms that always is kind of a very romantic relationship in one-sided obviously yeah in the original cut of this in the orig- as in the shooting script it is revealed at the end that Claude Rains is her father. Okay, weird. And he abandoned her so that he could live a life of... He could perform in the opera. Yeah. Because one of the recurring themes of the film are people telling Christine, you have to choose a life of an artist or a normal life. You can't yes. do both. And no multitasking, Christine. And she keeps trying to fight against that. She keeps trying to, you know, there's... Two different suitors in this one. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's... And it's they look played, exactly alike. It's played as if she has to choose between each of them. And then at the end of the film, she ends up choosing the opera. Yeah. And I think that that's a much more tragic ending. That is a much... It has much more thematic relevance to the entire film as a whole if they had not decided to cut out the reveal that he is her father who He's abandoned father, her yeah. so he could have that life... A life exactly. that ended up meaning nothing for him. Yeah. But uh, Warner Brothers got cold feet because they felt it was kind of incesty. Yeah. They 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 couldn't read the scenes as non-romantic. Universal, I mean. Universal. Yes. So, um, yeah, they uh, they just they got cold feet. They, they thought it was kind of gross. 
so they they made them cut out any references to that. And so oh. now in the movie, he j- he feels more a little like just a a, a sex creep. And yeah. There's not yeah. really a lot of explanation for why he'd be paying for her lessons for you know anything other than that. Anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's uh, woof. Yeah, and. And his lair isn't as cool in this. No, his lair is nowhere near as cool. His his lair is like the size of my bathroom. Yeah, uh, it's like really unimpressive. He's got like, what does he have down there? An uh, an organ to play music, and that's it. Yeah, and like a, a torture rack. <laughs> and uh, one of the things about this movie is one is, rack. <laughs> this movie has so much opera in it. Too much opera. They got really excited about making like a big, classy, big budget Phantom of the Opera movie, and nope. I think they just got really rowdy about the opera half. Yeah, and so you just watch a bunch of sequences just in full, it's and they're not even—they're not even real operas. They're all just made up based on yeah. whatever royalty-free music they could get. But I mean, like, it's—it's it's fun to see Claude Rains run around killing people. Yeah, um, uh, the, the chandelier talk- is cool. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they know that that's a like big moment, so the chandelier yeah. gets a visual weight in the early scenes. That's kind yeah. of fun. Tell me, uh, talk a little bit about kind of the insanity of how he does get scarred because I I love this scene. Okay, so like he needs money, right? So he takes this concerto that he wrote and he goes to like a music publisher. He's like, "Hey, check this out." So he's like, "Yeah, I'll listen to it. I'll." I'll See how this sounds, you know, blah, blah, blah. So then he goes later on to go visit again to be like, why haven't you gotten back to me? And the guy's playing it in the other room, and he thinks, Claude Rains thinks that they're stealing it. Mm-hmm. But what he's actually doing is just showing it to an interested buyer. So that he's like, oh my god, they're stealing it, when in fact they're, he's just trying to show it off. He's like, hey, you want to buy this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to publish this? Make this guy some money? He's down on his luck, you know? He has no money for whatever reason. So basically, he strangles a guy. Yeah, and but earlier in the scene, the the they're like, "Don't go near this acid; it will burn you." <laughs> so he strangles the guy, and the woman that was there basically takes up this like this uh, open ha- tray of acid, this open tray of acid, and just throws it in Claude Rain's face, and, and it's just ridiculous. Stands there. <laughs> just stands there. She's like, "Hey, I threw acid in your face." It reminds me so much of the scene from Gremlins 2, where the gremlin picks up the <laughs> bottle that says, Acid, do not throw in face, and then he yes. throws it in the gremlin's <laughs> face, and then he pulls up the Phantom of the Opera mask immediately. Uh, yeah, so that's how he gets scarred in this, and it's really bizarre. Yeah. This, movie, this movie's a big old bucket of weird. Yeah. I do love... I feel like the ending of this movie... Um, so the two, the two suitors, you know, they've been fighting over Christine the entire film. Yeah, uh, so it's it's almost a love quadrangle because if you yeah. add in, which is add, if you add in her father, it's a love quadrangle. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, weird. And the movie ends with, I I find it hard to read the end of this movie any way other than implying that the two guys are going to start a relationship with each other. Yeah, because it's it's, it's the Casablanca ending. But it's it's just, the visual metaphor is just so good because it's them like they both ask her out and she goes can't we all go out and they're like no not really and then no. she gets distracted by opera stuff 
So yeah. she just leaves, and they're like, well, do you want to go out? And he's like, yeah, sure, we'll go out to dinner. And then they both try to walk through the door, and they, like, <laughs> squeeze into it together. And then they back up, and they're like, you, no you. And then they both squeeze into the door again, and that's how the movie ends. It's kind of adorable. It's I love it. It's so it's, cute. It's adorable. How that, how you know, how they didn't get cold feet on that ending is uh, beyond me. <laughs> Good grief. Okay, that's the 1943 now we're going to go to something a little more fun. Brian De Palma's 1974 film, Phantom of the Paradise. Oh my god, yes. Holy crap, this movie rules. Yeah. Uh, it's basic, it's basic, it's fan of the opera, with a little bit of Dorian Gray thrown in, and it and. takes place at a disco, mm-hmm. and it's insane. Uh, Paul Williams of Buppets fame <laughs> does all the music and he's the villain here. Love that guy. Uh he's great. Uh Jessica Harper uh, is awesome here and it's weird to see her not in Suspiria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's that also kind of, in um in um Shock Treatment. She's in Shock Treatment. Uh she's actually one of my favorite parts of Stardust Memories if anyone's ever seen that. She's really good in that too. Uh William Finley plays the uh, the Phantom here, uh, he's a he used to be a uh, Brian De Palma regular. He was also you know in uh, Dress to Kill, The Fury. Uh, he even popped up in Black Dahlia, mm-hmm. which is an underrated gem that people should watch because it's pretty damn cool. Uh, Garrett Graham is in this. He plays Beef, <laughs> which is the greatest name for a character. Yeah, uh, I love Beef. <laughs> beef is. <laughs> Beef is wonderful. Okay, uh, good, because I also love beef, but I'm always scared <laughs> to say that I love beef. He's got the best reveal ever, because, you know, Paul Williams is like, I give you beef. <laughs> so, okay, so tell us all about Phantom of the Paradise, because this movie is buck wild, and uh, I don't know if I can do it justice. Okay, all right, Jesus, this is, this is going to be tough. This uh, is, it's, it's weird. Yeah, and it... It's weird and wonderful. The first... 20 minutes of Phantom of the Paradise cram in maybe about 80 minutes worth of movie plot. Yes, and I uh, I totally forgot about all of this intro. Yeah. This this time that I watched it, I was like, oh, oh, this all does happen. Okay, so I'm going to just try and do, I'm going to try and do the short version. Give me the elevator pitch. Okay, elevator pitch. (laughs) God, so hard. Winslow Leach is our our main character, and he is a composer. Great name. And he has written this Faust musical. Like a rock opera. Rock opera. Yeah. And he brings it to uh, Swan, who is played by Paul Williams, who is our villain, who is also a little bit the devil. And C- Kind of? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it playing into, I guess, the, the Faust yes. aspect yes. of everything. And uh, he, he brings this to him, and Swan steals this rock opera from him Mm -hmm. he gets jealous his face gets crushed into a record pressing machine (laughs) yes and he he, but first he goes to jail first he goes to jail yeah and gets metal teeth and gets metal teeth because they rip out his teeth uh and then he yeah and then he gets his face pushing up uh record press uh i imagine this like this is the jim steinman biopic right (laughs) like winslow leach is jim steinman I I hope that's how and it Jes- happens. And Jessica Harper is his meatloaf, <laughs> right? Like this is how that this is how this you can watch it like that. That makes sense. God, I'd like to do a Jim Steinman podcast one day. There's uh, a guy who has done some interesting stuff. 
Keep me in mind, sir. Uh, big fan over here. Okay, okay so, so yeah. Okay, let's just get down to how bonkers this fucking movie is. After that, he... Ba- God, I can't even describe this movie. Yeah, all right. Uh, it's one of those. On. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up steam, so I think I can barrel through okay. Most, okay. most of it. So, Swan has stolen the music. He's trying to find who should sing it. He finds Jessica Harper, who Winslow... Ha- heard sing his music and instantly knew was the right person and now is demanding that and now Saswan has recruited a bunch of different artists to be to sing his music within like a round table yes um yeah so there's a bunch of different genres of music there's the juicy fruits who are kind of like the beach boys there's beef who is Whatever Beef is doing. <laughs> I don't know what Beef is doing, but he's great. <laughs> he's basically um, like, a, he's like a Bowie almost. Yeah. There's a Kiss style band. Hell yeah, there is. That, uh, that, that performs. Um, but anyhow, Leech sells away his the rights, soul. Right? Yeah, the, his, the, the rights, rights and his soul. And his soul. And then gets blocked in a like brick walled room to continue finishing his 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 rock opera. Yes, um, he eventually escapes and threatens beef with a plunger. Yes, in in a great send up of uh, the shower scene from Psycho. You cannot stop Brian De Palma from doing Hitchcock illusions. <laughs> of course, you never will. You just can't. It's impossible. Uh, and then he. He has a great line there. He's like, no one sings this song but her, but Phoenix. Uh, if you try, you die. <laughs> and then um, Swan at one point seduces Jessica Harper. Yes. As she is starting to buy into, I guess, you know, the, 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 the music culture. And he does it while Winslow is watching from a skylight. And of course. Swan sees him watching. And we didn't even mention his voice Bach voice. <laughs> He's got, yeah, he's got this weird robot voice. It's awesome. And the movie's a musical. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. Oh, yeah, folks, it's a musical. Paul Williams <laughs> did all the music and just absolutely killed it. Yeah, and then they also, in your Fan of the Opera adaptation, they throw a little Dorian Gray in. Yeah, yeah. Which Wins- makes this into a masterpiece. Yeah, Swan is a deal with the devil, because, and he doesn't age, but it's on, like, a videotape. Yeah. Instead of a picture in the attic, mm-hmm. and his face melts, it's cool. This movie rules. Yeah, this movie is so good. It's Long story it's, short, everybody dies. It's a great film. Yeah, pretty much. Everyone's uh, <laughs> everyone's a corpse at the end, it's and it's really uh, tragic. Yeah, and it rules. And there's a lot of split screen, and I love it. And I, I just want to talk for a second about Paul Williams' songs for this. So it's great. Have you ever seen Paul Williams still alive? No, no, I want to though. It's fantastic. So it's a documentary about Paul Williams, the uh, the musician. And he's still alive. <laughs> yes, he is still alive, but most people think he's dead, which is why his documentary about yes. his life is called Paul Williams Still Alive. And so he had a massive drug problem at the time. And you don't say. <laughs> he has been sober now since the 90s. Mhm. He um actually Muppet Christmas Carol is the first thing he wrote while after oh, wow. becoming sober and he talks in interviews a lot about how much of himself he saw in Scrooge and how much of himself he puts in those lyrics oh, about wow. how it's like living a new life and seeing the world from a new perspective and looking back at knowing 
how depressed he was and knowing how much self-hatred and how much drug use was going on, the lyrics in this film are, I find, genuinely disturbing. Um, The end credits song is uh, one called The Hell of It. Mm -hmm. And the lyrics, I just, you cannot help but read them as autobiographical because it goes, um, winter comes and the winds blow colder. Some grew wiser. You just grew older. You never listened anyway. And that's the hell of it. Good for nothing. Bad in bed. Nobody likes you and you're better off dead. Goodbye. We've all come to say goodbye. Born defeated, died invade, super destruction. You are hooked on pain. And though your music lingers on, all of us are glad you're gone. Jesus. And it's. That's bleak. It's heartbreaking to hear, yeah. especially knowing kind of the demons he was facing at the time. Yeah. Damn, that's bleak as hell. So on that happy note. Yeah, let's move to a fun, more fun movie. Okay. Phantom there the are Opera. no more fun movies, but let's no. move to a more fun Phantom of the Opera, topic. 1988. Real quick, uh, it's an animated movie. It's about a, an hour long. It's incredibly faithful to the book in the original uh, silent film, except, hey, there's dialogue and the animation is really damn good. Uh, did you get a chance to watch this one? I did not get a chance to watch this one. It looks okay. awesome. Yeah, the animation style is very much uh, the classic, uh, I wouldn't say Disney, I'd say more of like a Secret of Nim style. Mm-hmm. That Don Bluth action? Yeah, it's got that, it kind of looks like a Bluth production, uh, but it's not, uh, it, but it's cool. Uh, definitely check it out, you can probably find it on YouTube, mm-hmm. that's where I found mine, and uh, oh boy, coming up next, Phantom of the Opera from 1989. This is another one I have not seen. Okay, directed by Dwight Little, who is also known for Rapid Fire, Free Willy 2, uh, and Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Yeah. This is produced by, oh boy, former Canon Pictures uh, president, uh, Manaheim Golan. (laughs) That explains the poster. Which explains the fucking poster. Uh, basically, you know, this guy is known for uh, Masters of the Universe, Superman 4, uh, basically any 80s action trash. That's also a lot of fun. Uh, this stars Robert Englund, who is in the middle of his Freddy phase, which is why they put Freddy Krueger on the poster. <laughs> Not uh, technically, but also it's 100% oh, Freddy Krueger. Okay, the tagline is, Robert Englund was Freddy, now he's the Phantom of the Opera, the and, motion picture. And Freddy is in, like, bigger font than literally anything else and on in, the poster. And in quotes, and, uh, wow, that is some false advertising, because he doesn't look like anything like Freddy in this movie. Yeah. Whatsoever. Uh, this movie rules. Okay, this movie is just a amazing 80s slasher uh, that takes place in uh, turn-of-the-century Paris. Now, the movie tricks you at first because it starts out in modern-day New York, okay? And this girl, she she, uh, goes to the music shop where her friend works, and her friend is played by a very young Molly Shannon. And and she says, I found this old concerto. Uh, It's not in our books, since we don't have it listed or anything, uh, but you should check it out. And the concerto starts oozing blood. (laughs) <laughs> so she's like, of course I'm going to use this for my audition piece uh, for this Broadway show that I'm going to audition for. She's auditioning. She gets hit in the head by a sandbag that falls from the ceiling. And we are transported back in time to early 1900s Paris. So Somehow. From what I understand, they added that later as a hope that that would be the bridge to modern day Phantom sequels. Which would have been awesome. Yeah. But you know what? What we get is... 
Robert Englund doing his slasher killer thing in old-timey Paris, and it's freaking awesome. Uh, he dispatches people. It basically, it follows the original story pretty well. He dispatches people who like work at the opera house. He says like a one-liner. Uh, he's got this really gross uh, burn makeup, which surprisingly doesn't look like Freddy. I actually really, really like this thing. Yeah, it's, I, a, it's a lot of fun. I would really like to see it. Yeah, I, I think you'd dig it. Uh, yeah, this movie's cool. It's it's a lot of fun. And speaking of fun... Hell yeah. Yes, we're going to talk about another 1989 adaptation. Same the, year. This yes. came out a month later. God damn. <laughs> uh, starring Morgan Fairchild and Pauly Shore... That's a generous use of the term starring, but Yes, uh, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Uh, Another slasher? Tell me all about this one, man. Before I talk about this, I just want to go on a brief tangent about bad colon use in titles. Yes. (laughs) And it's never a good sign when a movie has a colon and it's not a sequel. Yeah, and right? right. I think <laughs> this Phantom is the first the I've heard of this. <laughs> colon, Eric's Revenge is one of the worst offenders because, A, it makes it sound like a sequel. Yeah. Like, it makes it sound like we missed Phantom of the Mall. And your title is Phantom of the Mall. That tells you everything you need to know about this film. Yep. Why did you add Eric's Revenge, which adds nothing? Why um, wouldn't you, though? <laughs> other... Other bad colon titles, just uh, I want to run through some of my favorite bad ones. Ballistic, colon, X versus Sever. Oh my god, yes. Because I don't know who that X was a or sequel. Sever are, but okay. They were, they were very popular characters, apparently, enough to warrant a film. <laughs> One that has baffled me since I was a child. Far From Home, colon, The Adventures of Yellow Dog. Don't know the, the, don't know what the hell that is. Jesse Bradford has a dog, and they go on sure. some adventures. But the title makes it sound like there's a book series or a movie series <laughs> or something that I should know about. And from what I could find, there is no other Yellow Dog media. It's just this movie. Legend of the Guardians, colon, The Owls of Gahul. That one is another great I one. love that movie so much. I have not seen it. Not a, not a Snyder fan. but uh, It's his best. It's my favorite bad movie title of all time. Yeah, because it's it goes really good. From way too generic to way too specific. And <laughs> the Legends of no Gahul. Like, Legend of the Guardians. That could be literally any movie. Colon. The Owls of Gahul. All right, I need you to take a few steps back before you continue with this. Jacob, that movie rules. It's got owls in, like, night armor. And they're just fucking shit up. It's All right. awesome. I, I hear. <laughs> I did. And the animation is gorgeous. I heard there's a montage about owls learning to be owls, set yep. to an owl city song about yep. owls. It's wild. It's it's <laughs> owls like that. upon owls upon owls. Uh, we are way afield right now. Phantom of the Mall. <laughs> Phantom of the Mall. From the director named Richard Friedman. Uh, turns out I've seen another one of his films. I have seen Doom Asylum from 1987. Uh, That's another have, bad title. <laughs> have you seen Doom Asylum? I have not seen Doom Asylum. Doom Asylum. It is wonderful. <laughs> it stars Kristen Davis of Sex and the City fame okay. uh, before she was anything. Uh, it takes place in an abandoned asylum. Uh, there's a lot of bad jokes. And it's really not good, but I love it. <laughs> but right. Yeah, fan of them all. Okay. This movie is good, actually. <laughs> Yeah, this movie is pretty good. Uh, we don't and have to get into violent. the plot, really. It is it's Phantom of Phantom the, the Opera, Opera. set in a mall. Set in a mall. Except Eric, the Phantom, and Christine, the uh, the leading lady, they have a prior consensual relationship. 
Yes. Which is an interesting twist to the story. Yeah, that's interesting. It changes he, a bit. Yeah, his house gets burned down by developers who want to build a mall. Yes. <laughs> I, that seems a little extreme, but okay. Guys. In a neighborhood. Apparently in a neighborhood, they built a mall. Yeah. And so everybody thinks he's dead. Christine thinks he's dead, but he's back. She has a new boyfriend or hunky journalist guy. Yeah. And um, Oof. so when Eric returns... They start to flirt with the idea of doing a love triangle, but then they instantly lean into, oh, no, he is a possessive jerk. Yeah. And I like, I, I respect that the movie yeah. is clear enough to say, no, he is a villain here. You can't own a person like this. Mm -hmm. Also, he picks up Morgan Fairchild, who instantly turns into a bad mannequin and then it's great. two stories down onto a giant spike. Yes, it's wonderful. It's so good. And uh, Pauly Shore is in this movie pre... Pauly Shore. Pauly Shore. Yeah. And he is insanely likable. And Wh which I, is weird. I miss... I wish we could have gotten more of this Pauly Shore. Yeah, agreed. I think he'd be well-remembered now because he is very sincere and kind of sweet. And you do see his ass at one point. Yeah. But, that happens. That happens. That that's the thing I noticed. <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, fan of the wall. It rules. I like it. It's fun. Uh check it out, folks. <laughs> it's good times. Uh okay, for like two seconds, uh I watched Phantom of the Auditorium, an episode from the Goosebumps show. Uh it's not good. Uh the acting is terrible, obviously, you know, because it's goosebumps. Uh the show I used to watch all the time, which I used to think was the greatest thing, it's all right. It's fine. Uh, basically, these kids are putting on a play at a, at, a, at a school, and the play is haunted, and there's a ghost, the Phantom, and there's hijinks ensue. I'm in for a scare. Yeah. Are you in for a scare? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we're going to get to the last film. Wow, this episode's going long. There's a lot of movies to discuss. 2004's The Phantom of the Opera based on Andrew Lloyd Webber's 1986 musical. Yep. This you know what I'll tell you for free? This movie's not as good as Phantom of the Mall. Ah, I would... Uh, no, no. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Gonna have to disagree with you there. Uh, this is my favorite fan of the opera. Oh. Uh, yep. I love the musical. I was one of those kids that would listen to, you know, the cast recording when I was younger. I thought it was really good. Uh, I got to see this on Broadway... And that was incredibly impressive. And then I saw the movie. And guess what? I like it. I like this thing. This thing is directed by Joel Schumacher. came out in 2004. Uh, the production design is off the charts. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's got Emmy Rossum in, like, her first uh, thing before, yep. you know, that whole thing happened. And, yeah, I really like her. She's cool. Uh, Gerard Butler is plays Eric the Phantom, which is an odd choice. Yeah, that's uh it's weird. Uh yeah. he he sounds decent though. Like Yeah, he does not do a bad job with No, that. he's apparently he's a good singer. Uh but real quick, let's get into who could have played the Phantom. Yeah. Okay. First it was Antonio Banderas, who they wanted for a long time. That would have been so good. That uh, would have been awesome. He trained for years. He <laughs> Played the Phantom in a concert once. There was like a like an anniversary concert for the Phantom of the Opera where he got to you know sing some songs, and he's damn good at it. Um, they also wanted Hugh Jackman. That also would have been great. <laughs> uh, but he was busy doing Van Helsing. 
as 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 my friend Manish says, is his own Doug Ray Scott moment. <laughs> well, I mean, we didn't we, then get twenty years of Phantom of the Opera. Series. No, we didn't. We didn't. We just got one big old movie. Uh, this movie also has Patrick Wilson, who I like when he sings in movies. I straight up I cry every time I watch The Conjuring Two, and he sings Elvis. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's such a sweet moment. It's so nice. Uh, we have Miranda Richardson. Uh, we have Minnie Driver, who is a delight in this, playing Carlotta the prima donna. Uh, I did not pick up that her accent was supposed to be Italian. Yeah, she's ridiculous. She just <laughs> had this ridiculous accent. Um, we also have uh, you know the owners of the opera house, uh, played by Simon Callow and Saren Hines, just hamming it up. Yep. They ham it up like none other. Uh, Joel Schumacher directs. And he was actually supposed to make this movie years ago, back in, like, 89. But, you know, he had gotten into big demand at the time. Andrew Lloyd Webber was going through a divorce, so that whole thing basically went through development hell for, like, 15, 20 years. God, I really could see an 80s Schumacher version of this. Uh, I think that would have been a hell of a movie. Apparently, Webber really liked Lost Boys. Lost Boys rules. And then he was like, yeah, I want that guy to make my musical. (laughs) I have an interesting thought about Lost Boys in that the Lost Boys, I think, has the exact aesthetic you would look for if you needed someone to follow up Tim Burton's Batman movies. Yeah. Where it feels of a piece of them, but it's very much its own thing. It's Mm -hmm. poppy. It's dark. It's sexy. It's kind of childlike. It's very fun and comic booky. Yeah. And so they're like, I just can't. I have to imagine Warner Brothers watched The Lost Boys, said, Yes, this is the exact look and tone we want for Batman. Do it, Schumacher. And then Schumacher comes in and then makes a movie that feels absolutely nothing like The Lost Boys. Exactly. It's like the, the <laughs> uh, complete opposite of yeah, Lost Boys. Yeah. He, he just, <laughs> I guess he just did not pick up on what they were hoping for. And I, I just love that about him. So basically, this is a romantic horror musical. Uh, with some really catchy songs. Emphasis on two of those words and not on one of those words. Exactly. I mean, there's some murders here, but they're not often happening. Uh, I like this movie a lot. I like this version of the story a lot. Uh, I like that, you know, there's a there's a big fight in the middle between Raul and uh, the Phantom. That's like my a, favorite part. There's a sword fight in the snow that is just like out of this world cool. Apparently on uh, stage it's fireballs. Yes, there's like fire going back and forth. It's seeing this seeing this on stage is insane. I mean, yeah. There's of course, you know, this movie like all the others has the the chandelier fall. I I don't like the chandelier fall in this movie. Uh you would love it if you saw it in real life. I uh, imagine I would. I but I feel like they they tried to recapture what it looks like in real life yes. and all of the safety that you have to do for it there. Yeah. Like swings over the audience and everything it basically you're making a damn movie just drop it on some folks when you see this on stage it basically like the chandelier drops down up until about i don't know five or six feet above the audience's head yeah i'm just saying pretty cool it's been 90 years and i have not once seen a chandelier smush some fools watch the cartoon Okay. It just, <laughs> That's it where always, you'll get that. It always cuts away. And I'm like, yep. all right, finally, 2004, we can finally show some people get smushed. And it, like, nope. it doesn't even look like it hits anybody. It just swings over and like lands on the stage. It's a big old accident. And then they sell that murder weapon a couple years later. Um, that I thought was really weird. This movie is, it's weird. This is a weird, weird movie. It is. R- right in Schumacher's wheelhouse, though. 
it it occasionally taps into the lurid power that I every once in a while can do. Every once in a while, Schumacher's allowed to Schumacher. Yep. But when he does, he's unhinged. The, the sword fight over Christine's mm-hmm. father's grave with Patrick Wilson in this like billowy like Zorro shirt. It's that, wild. That scene rules. Yeah, that scene's fun. Uh, I, this was your first time seeing this, mm-hmm. and, it, but you you do like the music, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I like the music. Uh, I think just adaptationally, it captures. It takes a lot of the things that I like about the Phantom and changes them. I don't really love yeah. the more sympathetic Phantom. Okay. I don't really love that they cut out all of his fun death traps. Yeah, yeah. His the, his his lair looks cool though. His lair looks cool, but he doesn't. You know, he, he doesn't. You see his mirror maze for a second. This I, guy's this guy's more of like like a lovesick fool. Yeah, than anything I, else. I, I, I don't know. That's I have no interest in lovesick fools. I feel like they're evil anyway. you know like i mean really it's just incel phantom incel phantom (laughs) incels don't exist i'm going on record by saying that okay Uh, they're just fucking losers (laughs) let's alienate some listeners with that little like hot take all right some loser came up with the term incel he's like i can't get a girl it's like okay you're fucking nerd stop uh the phantom I, I hate the look of the Phantom. Okay, that's fair. I yeah. like it. I like his mask in this a lot. It's just, it's barely a mask. It covers I, like that's approximately why I like it. 5% I like, of his face. I like the half mask, and that's why whenever I see not a half mask in another version of the Phantom, I'm like, that's not the Phantom. Man, this is the, the Phantom that I grew up with. Yeah. With like the stage show and everything. Yeah. I mean, the silent one looks like, I look at it and I just go, it doesn't feel like a Phantom of the Opera, right? Because it has eyeballs drawn on it. It's very weird. I love it's it. Very it's very creepy. But, um, yeah, and his, his, you know, deformity is pretty minor. <laughs> it's, just it's, got, it's pretty much lesser Claude Rains deformity. Yeah. Um, I do love the flashback scene where he's a child and has that really creepy bag over his head. That's wild. That I he think has that like scene the, rules. He has a Friday the 13th Part 2 bag over his yeah. head. It's uh, very bizarre. That's like the only time Schumacher actually shoots this movie like a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, now, Emmy Rossum wasn't supposed to play Christine at first. Uh, originally, it was Katie Holmes, who did a whole bunch of training with a vocal coach. Uh, then she had to be dropped out. She was replaced by Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was doing Princess Diaries too, so she couldn't do it. And then they got Day After Tomorrow herself, Emmy Rossum. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, uh, Schumacher was really concerned with Christine being extremely young. Yes, which as you can imagine. I, that, that's a little weird to me, but okay, yeah. sure. Um, did not realize she was 16 when they shot this. I think that's Wild. insane. She does not seem it. No. Um, it does. I think it makes her relationship with the Phantom really creepy. Fair. Especially since he is shown to, like, be essentially grooming her since she was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the angel... I can't decide how I feel about the angel of music thing. The angel of music, that's like a phrase that goes back to the original book. Okay, it's... And I think Weber just kind of, like... Took it he latched on. Yeah, he latched on. He's like angel of music. That's a that's a good line. I should use that. Yeah, yeah. And there's just a lot of weird choices in this. Uh, giving it's the a weird movie essentially a, like a um, it's weird. It's like over the mom top. It's weird. 
Yeah, uh, Miranda Richardson, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it's, I, I just, I, I suddenly feel like she's really culpable for all these murders that are happening. Yep, just like she is in Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> it's um, I do. It's I, weird. I, I, I keep mentioning things I don't like. I did really enjoy this. I had a fun time. I've been humming the music ever since I watched it, as um, one does. As one does. I don't like that the Phantom. He never seems like a Phantom. Nobody ever acts like he's not just a weirdo who hangs out at the opera the house all the time. Like, everybody seems <laughs> well, to be like... Well, that's weird Eric who lives in the basement. Yeah, like, like he's dropping letters and everybody's like, oh, yeah, thanks, Phantom. And then he, like, shows up at the masquerade and they're like, oh, it's this guy. God it's damn it. Again. There never seems to be a moment where people are like, hey, can we just get rid of him? Can we just get rid of this guy? I don't know. I really like it. I, I do, too. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to issues, denigrate. Issues aside... Yes. I really enjoy this. Uh, it's extremely over the top, uh, and that's kind of why I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, and th- so I can't yeah. imagine of all the Universal monsters to make a musical out of. I think this is the clear choice to do. Well, it. yeah, it would make sense. I mean, you're already in an opera house; might as well do some songs. Uh, so, yeah, that's our Phantom episode. Yeah, that's our longest episode yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll oh. probably cut out some diversions that we took. <laughs> <laughs> ah, keep those in. They're fun. People like them. Jacob, uh, before we leave, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me online at, on Twitter at Jacob underscore DeNoble. And I'm on Letterboxd as the same. All right. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at TheRealMattC. You can also find the show on Twitter at MonstersDiePod. Don't eat the diepods. Uh, <laughs> and you can also find me over at Talk Film Society. I do little things, you know, here and there. Uh Next week, we're going to be talking about my absolute favorite universal monster, the creature from the Black Lagoon. This is going to be a fun episode, folks. We got some weird choices that we're going to be discussing, much like we did with Phantom of the Opera, uh, except they won't all be too too obvious. Uh, So until next time, Jacob, monsters never die. Have fun and stay spooky. Spooky.